Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for your presence. And I thank you for your power. It is your presence that brings your power. We don't seek after your power without seeking after your presence. That'll corrupt. But we seek your presence first, Lord. And then we thank you for your power. Bless your people, Lord, with your grace. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to penetrate every heart. So when they leave this place, they will never leave your presence. And then they will walk in the power of your grace to transform their community and their sphere of influence. Lord, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge that prosperity comes from you. And we thank you that you said faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we continue to read and, and, and dissect your word so our faith will grow. And every dream, every dream that you have placed within our hearts, we know will come to pass. Because you said that your word would not return void, but it will accomplish that which you sent it for. That is for somebody here this morning. I want to encourage you that the word of the Lord that he has spoken over your life will not return void but it will accomplish. Someone say, it will accomplish. It will accomplish everything that God has purposed for it to do. So, Father, we thank you now for giving that revelation to your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. No Other Name is the series that we have started. Um, we began last Sunday, and we came out of a series called Name Brand. And so we now have entered into... Uh, this series called No Other Name. With your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. I encourage everyone, not that I'm interrupting your reading pattern or your reading plan. If God has you on a journey of reading a particular book, and um, I want to encourage you to continue to do that, but... Uh, I want to encourage the men in here to read a chapter a day of the book of Proverbs. Um, I am approaching my 90th day of uh, reading a Proverbs a day, and there are nuggets and revelation there that's going to help you lead your life, lead your family, lead your home, and I'm encouraging you to do that, okay? So um, Proverbs is just a tremendous book. The Bible is so practical, yet it's so prophetic, that the Bible has the answers to life's questions. And that's why we go to it as a source. And that's why we go to it to get revelation from God. So in the book of Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to begin in verse 4. And this, I said last Sunday, that this was not Solomon saying. Um, it's written by the writer a-G-U-R, and in verse 1, the Proverbs tells us that he's the one that's writing um, this particular, these sayings. And um, he begins, uh, or he goes in verse 4 of Proverbs 3, and he says, Who has ascended into heaven, or, I'm reading from the New King James, Who has ascended into heaven, or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? who has established all the ends of the earth. So this writer of Proverbs is making a declaration of things that he has observed in his natural mind, and he's observing these things, and he's writing them 
uh, to uh, his son. And he ends by saying, what is his name and what is his son's name? And some translations say, surely you know. Um, the New King James says, if you know. And so with this statement, as I was meditating on it, the writer of Proverbs then is revealing to us, I believe, the greatest name uh, that God has revealed himself as is the word father, is the word father. So what is his name and what is his son's name? And so last week we looked at the father and I share with you the movie Taken and how the father passionately pursued his daughter when she was taken by the evil, the wicked one, to traffic her to every man and the highest bidder. And that fully describes the enemy, Satan, that he desires to kidnap us, to strip us, and to sell us to the highest bidder. But thanks be to God, we can answer this morning, what is his name? Father. And what is his son's name? And we're going to dive into that for the remainder of our session. Now go to Malachi chapter number four, the last book of the Bible, Malachi chapter four. So I'm taking us on a journey. So Malachi, the fourth chapter. If you get into Matthew, you have missed Malachi. The uh, authors or the uh, individuals who were tasked with putting the Bible together um, decided to put Malachi, a minor prophet, not because his message was not weighty, but because of the length of his prophetic book, and he backs it up with Matthew. And in between Malachi and Matthew, there is 400 years of silence. Not a moment of silence that we do when we want to respect someone who has died or if someone in the armed services who have served this nation has fallen the line of duty, and we give them a moment of silence. Not just months of silence, but we're talking the message of silence. 400 years of no prophetic revelation whatsoever. So therefore, the last words that were given prophetically ought to be something that we hold on to, and that's the backdrop of Malachi. And so Malachi, the people are waiting the restoration of the nation, and they have gotten to a place because of their choice, because of the decision that they have made, God as Father passionately pursuing them and in the Old Testament, we see God as Jehovah Rapha. We see him as Jehovah Jireh. We see him as the Lord of Banner. We see many descriptions of God. But now we're going to see as we enter into the New Testament that Jesus, his son, is going to reveal to him as the father. And I believe it is critical, it is vital for us to know him as the father. Because here's what Malachi says. He begins now in verse number four. Sorry, excuse me. He begins... In verse 2 of Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, he says, But to you who fear my name, to you who fear my name. So if you're here this morning and you fear, it means reverence. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It means to reverence God. For those who reverence his name, so let's go back to Proverbs 30, verse 4. He said, what is his name and what is the name of his son? And so the revelation is given to us prophetically that his name here, he says, those who fear my name, he says, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like the stall-fed calves. 
And then he jumps down now and he gives the last one. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And this is what it is right here. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then he continues on and he says, This is what will happen. He says, I'm going to restore, I'm going to bring back the hearts of the fathers back to the children. He says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Last week, I also shared with you and told you that there are six identifiable statistics of what happens when the father is out of the house or we have a fatherless home. We know from statistics that poverty is, can be directly related to a fatherless home. We know that drug and alcohol abuse can be related to a fatherless home. We know that physical and emotional health, this is science now, this is not scripture, this is science that they have surveyed people and says when they look at their life and they consider why they're in these predicaments, they can trace it back, not all of it, but a lot of it can be traced back because of a fatherless home. Educational achievement, crime, sexual activity, and teen pregnancy, all if you look at the statistics and many of the father advocates they say even the things that are happening in the nations of the world can be related back to the fact that there is a father deficiency. And what's the result of not having a father around? You now operate in an orphan spirit. You operate in an orphan mindset. And so the enemy now can play with you because you don't know who your father is. You don't know who your dad is. And so I believe it's important then that the church, we have the answer to this. We have the answer. And I want to also say it's not just if you're talking about biological. Because when I told you my story, my dad left at 13. But God brought spiritual fathers into my life to make sure I wasn't deficient in the things that I needed to reach my destiny. That's for somebody right there. That God will make sure that you don't live with deficiency. He'll bring men into your life who will play that role because what? They know the father. If you want to be a great mother, you've got to know God as father. If you want to be a great wife, you've got to know God as father. If you want to be a great husband, you've got to know God as father. If you want to be a great child, you've got to know God as father. Every relationship that we want to succeed in has got to be birthed out of a relationship with God the father. Someone say amen. I mean, that's truth right there. It all has to go back to God the father because there's no other name. There is no other name. So then it tells me then that we must understand God is about restoring us back to him and for him to reveal himself to us as father, as father. Bill Johnson made this statement that I believe is absolutely so prophetic for the time that we are living in. He says this, we have a father. He is perfect. He is wild about us. And he has made provision for us to be restored to him. So in Malachi now, there's 400 years of silence. And they are awaiting the messianic promise that was given to restore back the temple that David and Solomon had come together. So David had heart that I want to build this temple that people can come and gather. And God says, no, Solomon, your son, is going to build this temple. And so here it is now that they're awaiting the Messiah. They're awaiting the coming promise that God had declared unto him. So now I go to Luke chapter 1. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. 
So they end with this prophetic promise that the uh, spirit of Elijah, someone's going to come in the spirit of Elijah, and they're going to come, and we want to see the fulfillment now as Dr. Luke writes to us in Luke chapter 1, and he goes and he tells us here, and he now brings in the birth of John the Baptist. And so there's 400 years of silence, and so God finally speaks. After 400 years of silence, God finally speaks, and he speaks to the high priest, Zacharias, who through Lot, through casting of the Lot, it was strategic. It was his time to go into the temple and to bring the incense and to do the yearly duty that was given. And so he goes into the temple, and it's in the house, it's in that environment that God opens his mouth now, and he sends a message. So there's been a message of silence for 400 years. Can you imagine that? For 400 years, it is absolutely silence. Not a word for 400 years. And finally now, he steps into the temple and a message comes says, and you're going to have a child. So the first word that is spoken is about giving birth to God's promise. Oh. After 400 years, God said, I didn't forget what I said in Malachi. And if God has given you a promise, come on. You're not 400 years old as yet. So you can hold on to God's promise that if he said it back then and 400 years it came to pass, that promise he gave you will come to pass. But you got to see God's word as a seed form. you got to see him as the father who gives the seed, who gives the sperma, which is the Greek word for the word of God. Mm. And so when you're receiving the word now, it is penetrating to you. And so he now says, and here is, here is the high priest who studied, who knew every promise. And he was taught, he was trained. And all of a sudden now he says, it can't be that God. There is no way that this can happen. Can you imagine for 400 years, the nation is waiting for the promise and one individual who God speaks to in the right season says it can't happen. Then God says, then you won't speak. I'll silence you so you won't declare doubt into the atmosphere. Because I'm telling you, the promise that God has given to you is not just for you. It's for a nation. It's for a family. It's, it, come on, come on. It's not just for you. It's for someone who's connected with you. And so the promise that you have, you can't be selfish. Come on. You've got to speak God's word so that thing can come to pass. And people who are depending upon your dream coming to pass can see it happen. It says you will not speak. And so he's silent. And so it goes on, and it's an interesting story of John the Baptist because the Bible says that, that, that listen, his birth will bring joy. His birth will bring joy. So I'm here to tell you, everyone on the side of my voice who can breathe in and breathe out, the moment you left the womb, you brought joy into the atmosphere. The atmosphere of your home may not have been enjoyed. They said, oops, it was a mistake. Oops, I should have, I, I should have protected myself. I should not. But God says, no, your birth will bring joy to a nation. See, there's this between pastoring and parenting just regular people. But when you know that your seed, when you know that you're part of a prophetic movement, you got to ask God, teach me how to parent and teach me how to pastor prophetic people. It's prophetic people that brings joy because they're able to look at you and prophesy a word inside of you. Things you thought were dormant, things you thought were lost. When you get around a prophetic person who knows the word of God, they will speak a word into the atmosphere that will penetrate the darkness, the depression, the discouragement in your life. So that thing will hit. 
And when you connect with someone else who is pregnant with the word, oh, that thing will leap inside of you. See, 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 watch, watch, watch. See, God is so good. He is so good. And he describes this child's life and he says, they, they will not drink strong drink. They will not do these things. And what he was telling was this. This child will be different from every other child. So other children can do that, but this child can't do that. See, you've got to understand conviction. And when God gives you a conviction, hold to that conviction. I don't care what the culture is saying. Hold to your conviction. That's why God is not moved by the culture around us, and he's not freaking out. He's not thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? God is saying, I gave you my word in seed form. If you just plant that word up inside of you, you'll give birth to an answer for a culture that's asking for help. And so there's no other name. There's no other name. And so this is what interests me. And I was talking to Megan about this, that when John the Baptist, when Elizabeth finally gave birth, and they were saying, what is his name? And, and, and she said, call his name John. Now, my question is this. When the angel told Zacharias' father, you shall call his name John, he was mute. He couldn't speak. So how did the mom know, don't call him what tradition has always wanted to be called. So somehow there must have been an agreement. Come on, somebody. They must have come into agreement somehow, communicating somehow, whether he wrote it, whether he talking about it, but there had to have been an agreement. I'm telling you, when you're pregnant with a prophetic promise, you've got to line up with someone who comes in agreement that when you can't speak and they ask that person, what do you want to call this thing? You say, hold on a second here. I won't go out of agreement. I'm going to stay in agreement. His name shall be called John. I don't know what his future holds, but all I know, God told me to call his name John. And so somehow they were able to communicate to each other the purpose and the destiny of God. And I'm telling you, you need to find someone that you can come in agreement with about a promise from God that they can't talk you out of. They may talk, well, it's not trendy. I don't care. It's the truth. But it's tradition. I don't care. It's the truth. And they may say all kinds of things, but you're going to hold fast to the truth of God's word. Can I get one person here to help me this morning? Huh? Come on. Hold fast to the promise. Remember when I, when I talked about the blessing that God gave to Jacob and I was praying for someone, I said, I'm going to pray that God will give you a blessing that only God can name. Can you imagine a blessing that only God can name, that somebody else can't name it? Every letter in the alphabet, they can't put it together. There's no words in the English language, in the Hispanic language, in, in, in Russia. There's no language that can explain this blessing. All you have to say is, if it had not been for God. Oh, I prophesied that to someone over here. God, I pray you give them a blessing that only you can name. Because if I name it, I will limit what the blessing is. Mm -hmm. And so, God, you're the one that wanted this thing. And so we, we, we looked at this. And then all of a sudden now, we read, we read and, and so he says, he will fulfill what Malachi said. And so here comes John the Baptist, and he's doing his ministry. He's doing his work. And then all of a sudden now, all of a sudden now, he, people are coming to him, and he's baptizing people in, in the River Jordan. And they say, are you the coming Messiah? Are you the one we're supposed to look for? And look what John the Baptist says. He says, uh-uh. I'm just a forerunner. I'm just preparing the way for the Messiah to come. That the sole, that the sandals, the foot, the things that he wore, I can't even touch those things. He's so worthy. He, 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 he's so worthy of it. And he describes it. 
And so now he reveals what is his name, Father, and what's his son's name? Jesus. Jesus. Because the messenger went back and said to Mary, you're going to have a child, and you should call his name Jesus, for he should save his people from their sin. So there's no other name they could call but the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. And so with that being said now, we want to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to park it here for the remainder of time that we have. Luke chapter 15. So here it is now. John the Baptist has a unique birth. Mary has a unique birth. And so we read in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we read now that here it was that, that, that Jesus, he, he's 12 years old. He's 12 years old. And, and so Jesus now, at the age of 12, his family is going on a journey to Jerusalem, what they would always do. And they went to Jerusalem. They did the things that was just customary every single time they would go. That's what they did. And they're going back home now. And after three days, they finally says, where is Jesus? I mean, they call children's services on you. Come on, somebody. For three days? You don't know what the son of God is. I thought he was among the acquaintances. I thought he was amongst our family members. But where is Jesus? He's 12 years old. Can you imagine? Gavin, can you imagine at the department store and you lost him? Or, or you're at Easton and you're thinking, oh my goodness, you're freaking out. Where is my son? You're trying to look everywhere. That's just three minutes. This is three days. Where is Jesus? And so people are walking into the churches now who have compromised, and they're saying, where's Jesus? Where is Jesus? I'm looking for no other name. Oh, I see entertainment, but that's not what I'm looking for. I see progress, but I'm not looking for that. Because, because what I need is I need no other name. I need the one who was prophesied, he shall save me from my sins. Where is Jesus? And so after three days, everything stopped. Oh, good God of mine. I just feel a revelation there that God is saying, I want stop what you're doing. Because it was a religious exercise. You would go, and that's what you always did. And then you would go back home, and you would come back again, and you would always do what you do. But he says, stop. Stop what you're doing. It is not working. Crime is still on the increase. Teen pregnancy is still on the increase. He says because of a fatherless nation. But he says, church, stop. They're asking, what is his name, father? And what is his son's name? Jesus. For he has come to save people from their sins. And here it is now that Jesus, they says, where can we find him? And they, they look everywhere for him. And they look everywhere. And they, they finally said, let's go back to the place where we started. Oh, God. Let's go back and see if anything has changed. And they go back to the temple and sitting there is Jesus, 12 years old. Don't you underestimate the anointing that's on this generation. That at 12 years old, he's sitting amongst the scholars, sitting amongst the scribes, sitting amongst the teachers, asking them questions. And so when your child starts to ask questions, let me tell you something. You know when you're in a cult when you're not able to ask questions. 
But when you can ask questions to, to, to confirm your faith, the Bible said the Berean church, they would, they, they would read the scriptures to make sure what the apostles were saying was from the word of God. You have to take responsibility to know the word of God for yourself. Come on, somebody. So you can dissect and you can divide the word and make sure you know that this is what God is saying. Because one revelation from God will change your life. And here he is sitting amongst, he's sitting amongst the teachers asking them questions. And they finally caught up to him after three days. They says, Jesus, where have you been? And he said this in the title of this message now. We move from no other name to this. Jesus said this. There's no place like home. He said, I know, Mary, you gave birth to me. <laughs> but where I came from, come on, somebody, it's from a different. So I think kingdom. And Malachi, they were waiting for the prophetic promise of the restoration of the temple from Solomon. So I'm going back to fulfill the promise. I am destined to be right here. And whenever you find destiny, you find Jesus. Whenever you find a purpose for your life, you find Jesus. Wherever you find happiness, you find Jesus. Where you find joy, you find Jesus. Wherever you find the attributes of God, you will find Jesus because he is the revelation of the Father. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so here it is now. And so here he's now. 12 years old. There's no place like home. You got to get in mind. There's no place like home. I know you had a great upbringing. Everything was great. You, you gave me the silver spoon in my mouth and everything like that. But there's no place like home. Because John chapter 1, my favorite scripture in the entire Bible says you were born not because of blood. You were born not because your parents were in the mood. You were born not because it was the will of man. Come on, somebody. You were born because God says it's your time now to enter this realm. It's your time now to enter this reality. And just like John the Baptist, how I prophetically declared his birth, I prophetically declared your birth as well. So you've got a purpose. So when you walk in your purpose, you can't be touched. You can't be touched. You will fulfill every single thing that God has for you when you understand that. And so I'm trying to bring now who Jesus was after. He's after a people that God had said in Genesis that you will dominate, that you will inherit. He gave all these promises. Jesus comes now to remind them of their birth, remind them of daddy's plan for them, to bring them back, to restore them back to where they were. It's critical that you understand that because the message of the kingdom that Jesus preached was all about that. It was all about come back back to the father because there is no place like home say with me there is no place like home come on they're recording this let everybody hear you now like you're happy there is no place like home oh hallelujah and so here it is now here it is there's no place like home and so in luke 15 in luke 15 it says then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. See, the first thing, when you know there's no place like home, you know that there's, there's a welcome mat for you. And as I was getting, I was purchasing this one, because there, there's no place like home. Um, not here's no place, it's there's no place like home. We, we, we look at this. And, and I said, okay, Meg, which one do you think I should get? So I took a picture of, of three different, about four different welcome mats. And I went and looked at this one, and guess what? This mat is called the Global Kingdom doormat. 
So I said, which one do you like? And she told me. And I, so I drove back to Walmart, and I'm like, let me see. And I'm like, um, maybe I should get the one that Megan like. And God's like, no. What did that one said? The global kingdom doormat. When you understand there's no place like home, you know this is the global message for the kingdom of God. And so we lay out the mat right here so everybody can come in. And here's people actually wanted Jesus. They were seeking after him. They desired to be with him. When you walk in authenticity and when you know who you are, you will attract people that will come to you because you got a revelation. You got a word to help them in your situation. And so here is Jesus now and the tax collectors. You don't want to be a tax collector back then. You were working for the Roman government who was oppressing the people of God. So in other words, you were hated more than the IRS. Come on, somebody. You were working for the nation that was oppressing you, taking money from your own people to go get back to a nation that was oppressing you. And Jesus has come on, come on, come on, I welcome you. I don't know you by your occupation, I know you by your destiny. Because I can change your occupation, but your destiny is what we're after. And so he, wel- he puts out the welcome mat, and, and, he's, and, and he welcomes, and he welcomes everybody. And the Pharisees are complaining, and, and the scribes are complaining, says, you not, only, you, not only, you not only welcome them, but you eat with them. And Jesus is saying, I have to reveal to you the Father because there's no place like home. And he puts the welcome mat out. And then he gives three stories but one parable. So we looked at the Proverbs. We looked at the prophetic in Malachi. Now we're going to look at the, at, at the parable. He gives three stories, but it's one parable. It's not three parables. It's one parable, three stories. And he breaks it down. And in my studies, I was looking at this. Many people will give their reasons for, you know, uh, the, the, the reason uh, for it. And as I was studying, I'm like, man, we have different, different views of the application of this particular message. But here's what I want to say, say to you that's consistent. If you look at this message, and then we're going to get into the meat of what we have to look at. So the first one is about a lost sheep, right? The first parable. It's a certain man had, had a sheep, and it, it, it got lost. So he leaves the 99... And he goes after that one. Fights through all the elements. Fights through all the things. And he, there is my sheep. I know my sheep knows my voice. And there's, and he gets the sheep and he puts it over his shoulder. So there's intimacy taking place. And he walks it back to the 99. And it says, if you read it further on, he says he gets into the house. And he calls his friends and relatives. says, come to the pate, because that which was lost is now found. So they were saying there is no place like home. There was a party, there was a celebration, and then Jesus says, you think that's a party? The angels are rejoicing up in heaven because one person that comes to repentance, the angels are rejoicing because they're seeing restoration. They're seeing the word of God manifest. Angels just dig God when they see God just operating. They're like, ooh, look at God go. Look at God do his thing. These were the angels who, 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 who fell for Lucifer's lies. These were angels. No, 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 no. God is God and he sits on the throne. And he's rejoicing. The angels are rejoicing because someone who was lost has come back home now. In other words, they fulfilled restoration. And so here it is now. Then he goes to the next story. He says, uh, uh, a woman uh, lost one of her coins and she needed the whole set. 
Back in those days when they gave you the coins, you had to have the entire set. It wasn't like, okay, well, it's okay if one's lost. I still got the other nine. She goes, no, no, I need to have the complete set because it represents something. And so here she's now looking through the house, and she's looking through the house, and she's sweeping everything, and she's looking, and she finds it in the house. Not outside the house. She finds it in the house and says, there's no place like home. And she calls her friends and says, come on, I found the, the coin. I, I found the thing. Now it's complete. Now everything's complete. I, I, and so they, they, they rejoice and, they, and, and, and they, they go to, they have a party. And, and the Bible says, the angels rejoice again with joy over and he does it again. Now understand, Jesus knows the audience. And he's giving them an application. The audience, he knows them. He knows the second century, how they would think. And he knows the audience. And he's telling them about this restoration process. And so the first parable, or the first story in the parable, speaks of this restoration of the sheep back to the shepherd. And the second story in the parable speaks of the restoration of the coin back to the woman. And now he gets a third, and the one we know as the prodigal son. Many of us have read this story. Many of us can, can, can quote this story. But, but there's some interesting things I want to point out to you this morning in the story of the prodigal son. And here it is now that he gets closer. He gets right to the heart of the issue of this restoration of this, of this welcome. He, he gets right to the heart of it. And it begins like this in verse number 11. And he says this. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father. He says to his father. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, please understand, in the second century, when the son said this to the father, the audience would know exactly what was being said. That the only way, the only way that the inheritance could be given to the sons was when the father was dead. That's the only way. And he's making a request then that, and when you understand in the ears of those who were listening at the time, they were saying, what kind of, ad what? He was wishing his father dead, is what he was saying. That you are dead to me. And he says, I don't want the inheritance. We're going to get to that. What I want are the items that you have. I don't want the responsibility of the inheritance because I can wait for it. I want the items now. And so here it is that one of the sons, the younger son says, I don't even want intimacy. To wish someone dead is to be void of every single intimacy that there is. And we have marriages and we have relationships that you look, it's dead to me now. I've cut off that relationship. I, I, I don't want anything, I don't want nothing to do with that relationship. And so we've looked at those relationships, and then we make them to God. Because, like I said earlier, a father walks out of the life, and it's like, he's, he's dead to me. My, 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 my older brother, I tell him, he says, listen, he says, if my dad, and I'm praying for him, pray for him. He says, if my dad ever dies, if I happen to be in the same city, I may go to the funeral. If I'm somewhere else, because he remembers the things that happened to him, and he's saying, I, I want him dead. So I'm, I'm drawing the contrast between what the younger son was asking the father, and here the father is listening to this now, and he's saying, I wish you dead. So the first point of the story is this. The prodigal son, he's asking the question, he says, I want my inheritance, and he says, I wish you were dead. So death. So he divided to them his livelihood. That word livelihood is the word we get the word biology. 
And so what the father did was this. The father didn't exercise punishment that he had every right to. The father had every legal right to exercise judgment, to cast him out. The community would have understood that the son of yours has defamed your name. He has brought shame to the house. But the father says, I'm going to give my life. And the father says, I will divide my life for you. This story is about the father. It's really about the father. And there's no place like home. And he divides to them his living. He divides for them his livelihood. Now he's in the house and he wishes the father dead. He's in the house and the father's divided his substance. And if that wasn't enough, back in those days, your wealth was connected to the land. You know, it was connected to the land. They, they were agriculture. They, they were farmers. And so the cattle and all the stuff that they had was all to the land. And so what he was saying was this. I don't want the inheritance. I just want the items that belong to me. So what they had to do was they had to sell the things off and they had to devalue because he wanted to get out of the house as fast as possible. So he said, I don't want to uh, inherit anything. I want what belongs to me. I'm now going to sell it to get currency so I can be about my business. I want to get out of this house. I, I want to leave this house. And the enemy will start to nod you and cause you to devalue yourself and, and say, okay, yeah, you don't like the, the rules and, and all that kind of stuff. They say, come on, parents, we know what it's like. And you try to talk to your children. They say, no, I just want to get my stuff. I can't wait till I'm 18. I can't wait to get out of this house, da, 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 all this kind of stuff. And so the enemy's trying, trying to get them out of the house. And so here he is now. He did that. So in other words, if something was worth $1,000, he said, I'll take 500 for it. And if something was worth a million, I'll take, I'll take less value for it. Huh? Megan had to remind me, I, I took Lizzie out on a date, and we were supposed to go to Olive Garden because I, I had a gift certificate. And it was too long, and she hates to wait. From the time she was born, that girl hates to wait. Okay, we always have to go to restaurants. We just get your food right away. And she goes, so I said, hey, um, do you want to go to Red Robin? Um, we can walk there. So I'm thinking, okay, it's, it's less money. Let's go to Red Robin. You like hamburgers, don't you? And all you can eat fries? I mean, the bottomless fries. Come on, who want to turn that up? She goes, no, Dad, I want to go to Molly Woo's. Ooh. So here I was trying to devalue the date. Come on, somebody. Huh? Trying to get it for less than what it's worth. I said, no, I got to go up there. And I'm telling you, man, when I saw that, I was like, okay, whatever you want. Hang on to that wallet. You know what I mean? And so just the difference, but the atmosphere is so different from Molly Woo's. Come on, to Red Robin. Both restaurants, both serve food, but there's something about being at Molly Woo's that when the waiter came up, his countenance and his approach was so different that I would go to Red Robin's. Yes, we had an amazing waiter at Red Robin. It was great. I'm not knocking. It's a great place. I'll go eat right now. But I'm telling you, when you enter in an atmosphere that's different, there's just no place like Molly Woo's. And when you enter into the house of God, there's no place like the house of God. Come on. There's no place like home. And here he was devaluing the items and the asset that he had. Are you here with me? He was making it cheaper. He was causing it to devalue. And then he finally says this. He finally gets to this point. When you, when, when you see death, when you see a divide, when you devalue, the only thing left for you to do is this. The only thing left for you to do, and we have a whole generation, millennial generation that's coming, and they didn't find Jesus, or they didn't like what he was saying, and guess what they did? They said, God is dead. There is no God. And we have a group of young people who have now departed out of the church. They have now departed out of the church. 
They don't, they don't want to be welcomed. They're departed out of the church. And while they're out in the world, they were getting tattoos. They were getting all kinds of stuff now. They were doing every kind of thing to them. And so here it is now, the church. We sit now in this time where they're saying, I have no father. And they're out there now. They're doing the things. But now God is saying, as I said to Malachi, I'm saying to this generation now that we must turn the hearts of the children back to the father and the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Church, we had a crucial stage. That like the audience back in Jesus' days, we have an audience now that's saying, am I welcome back into the church? Can I come back into this place? I've departed from the faith. Can I come back? It would be one thing if the story just ended there, but it didn't. We get a description of what was going on. And so here it is now. Here it is now. As he was out, as he was out in the world, we see that he took his wealth and he started to decrease. He went away from God and his value started to decrease. And he was spending his money left, right, and center. And he was giving all his money away and everything was happening. And so out in the world, he was decreasing. He left with stuff. It may not have been a lot of stuff, but he left with things. He left and he started to decrease. And so he, he left knowing that there was, there was Jesus. And he left knowing the Sunday school songs, you know what I mean, that we taught him. But all of a sudden now, they're not believing those songs anymore. And they're no longer believing the core values of the church now. And the cross now is an offense to them. And, and here it is, this generation is out there. And, 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 and they, 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 they left, they departed. And out there, they have devalued and decreased. And here it is now. The Bible says, as we continue to read on to this, he says, um, and so, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together uh, and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or with righteous living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. He began to be in want. He went out there in a severe famine hit. The enemy is waiting out there just to, just to come. And so we, we, we look at these things and we call them, we blame God for certain things that are happening. God says, no, it's not me. That's not the Father's heart. It's the choice that you're making. And he's simply saying, there is no place like home. There is no place like home. And so all of a sudden now, we, we, we see, and, and so he wasted all of his living, all of his living. He spent all his possessions, and, and here he is now. He joins himself, he joins himself to become a citizen of another land. He says in verse 14, but when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. A citizen of that country. He lost his identity now. In other words, the things that identified him were all gone. And he realized that my identity, where is it? Where is it? And so we have young people who are looking for their identity in all different places. But their identity is on the inside. Come on. And so you can mock up your body all you want to. You can do everything you want to. But guess what? Your identity is based on who God says you are. Who God says you are. So here he is now. The particle comes back now. And so he comes, and now he's desperate. He's desperate. He, he got beat up out in the world. He got, the world didn't treat him right. And so here he comes now, and he is desperate. And it says he joined himself. And, and this word joined himself means this, that here he went to the Gentile nations for help. 
And this word joy to means to, to be glued together. And he was so, <laughs> that even the Gentiles didn't want him. They said, oh, you're a Hebrew. You don't like pigs. So I want you to get away from me. I'm going to send you into work with the pigs. Because as a Gentile, I don't even want you. So I'm going to send you to the very thing that culture and tradition tells you not to be a part. He was desperate to survive. He wasn't thriving. He was just trying to survive. And there he goes now and he, he looks and, and he set him out to work it. And, and he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods and the swine that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Here he is now. The diet that belongs to an animal. I'm going to try to eat. And he couldn't. His stomach wouldn't take it. Not that he didn't want it. His stomach wouldn't take it. He was in a desperate situation. And so he then says this now. He says, let me, let me come up with a plan. In my father's house, the servants eat better than me. He says, I'll go back to my father's house and, and I will say, here's my plan. I'm going to go back to the father's house. Stay right there. I'm going to go back to my father's house. And his plan was to say, I'm not worthy to be called a son. Make me a servant. Now, please understand what he was saying. The servants didn't live where the family lived. He was still saying, I can't join back to the family. There was a custom back in those days that when a son left and embarrassed the family, you had to create a feast, not a feast, excuse me, there was an event that says we cut him off and for him to come back now, it would take the father to override what the custom of the community was and so the father knew that, the father knows I've got to beat the custom because they're going to say you have every legal right to pronounce judgment on him and so in a distance he has his plans but the father has his plans and the father sees him in the distance. And the father runs in the song they were singing. Every song they were singing this morning was related to this message. I'm like, God, you confirm this message. It says, I'm running to you. And no, God says, I'm running to you. It's not you running to me. God is saying, as the father, I lift up my robe. And if your legs are showing, you didn't show your legs. And he was running down to his son. And if you read the scripture... His plan was to say, make me as a hired servant. When the father got there, he didn't say that to the father. He simply said, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. How come he didn't say, how come he didn't say, make me like one of your servants? I believe the father interrupted him. Don't you speak that into the atmosphere. Come on. There's no other name but son. Come on. I refuse for you to speak into the atmosphere, servant. You are a son. And so from a distance, he runs to him and says, I know that all these things has happened to you, trying to steal your identity. But as the father, I'm going to tell you who you are. You are my son. 
Come on, somebody. That's for this generation. They got to know that they have a father in heaven who loves them tremendously. And I don't care where they go. David says, where can I run from your presence? If I go to the deeper parts of hell, you ascend there and find me. That's what Proverbs 30 verse 4 says. And if I go to the highest mountains, you go up there and come and get me. There's nowhere I can run from your presence. And so from the distance, he was distant in his heart, but the father's heart was never distant from the son. Come on, somebody. And so as you walk about in your day-to-day routines, there are people who are distant from God, and you got to let them know, you are God's son. And so from a distance, he does that. And watch this now. He says, he says, he runs, he runs, he says, come, come, son, come. And he says, I, I can't have you dressed like that because you'll look back and think that's who you are. And you'll be conflicted in my house. And you'll look at my house and you won't believe that you're a son or a daughter. You look back at your dress and think that, okay, I'm still out there. And so you're in a place where there's no place like home, but you're still living like you're in the pig pen. And we can't have that. And so it says, now, I've got to to take this off of you. I've got to get rid of these things because the ground you stand on is holy ground. And I got to make sure. And he says, come. And he hugs him. And he kisses him. And he embraces him. And he says, my son. My son. He says, come now. Come. Come. I have to. I have to dress you. And he says, servants, servants, go get the best robe. Get the robe of righteousness. Get, get, get the best robe and let's, let's get rid of this. And he says, let's, let's put on him the robe. Let's put on him the robe. And he puts the, he puts the robe on him. Because he knows the custom of the community is that we can bring judgment. He puts the robe on him. And he says, the best robe. And he, and he puts on him and he ties it around him. And he says, my son, my son, there's no place like home. And he, he says, get the ring. And he says, let me, and he takes his hand. He, he puts the ring on he says, my son, welcome home. There's no place like home. He says, but your, your, your feet. He says, go ahead, put, them, put it on. Put it on. And he says, I know before you didn't want intimacy, but that's all that I breathe is intimacy. And he says, you are no longer a slave fear but you are a child of God are you ready for this ready for this he now says kill the fatted calf not the golden calf in Exodus come on somebody This is not about idol worship. This is about worshiping the true identity. Not the golden calf of your fathers in the past, God Almighty. But get the fatted calf. I said in Malachi that you shall be like a fatted calf in the star that jumps and rejoices. He says, 
office. Stay right there. Now watch. When I grew up in the world, at about 10 p.m., the boys would come knock on my door. I got the address to the party that we're going to go to. I didn't say 10 a.m. I said 10 p.m. I was getting ready to go to a party. And there was going to be celebration. There was going to be dancing. And I'm here to tell you, every time we gather, it is a Holy Ghost party because Daddy is restoring relationships. He's restoring marriages. He's restoring sons to daughters. He's restoring sons and daughters to their parents. It is a party. Indulge me, please, for just a few more moments. And let's get on your best dancing shoes. Fix your hair. Come on, somebody. Put on your best garment. You've been invited to a party. And let's worship and party and magnify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, because I am a child of God. There's a, there's a show, it's a reality show. Or, Cause we have to forget there was two sons. There was two sons. And so one son left, the other one stayed in the house. But when the one son left, the other one, when the son came back, the other one left the house. And here he is, he hears the music. He sees all what's going on. He says, hey, what's going on in the house? He's outside the house now. What's going on inside the house? They says, hey, didn't you hear? You're invited. There's a party on the inside. Your brother who was lost, he is alive and the father is rejoicing. And the, and the older brother says, so you think you can dance? Isn't it like the religious folks? Come on. When God has set you free from some things and you start to worship God, the enemy reminds you so, oh, so you think you can dance? That's the enemy's trying to, oh, so you think you can dance? Oh, come on, come on. You're going to battle that when it comes to your identity. You're going to start to dance. I got my freedom, but to leave this building, enemy's going to say, oh, so you think you can dance, right? I'm going to remind you what you did. That son of yours spent the money on righteous living. So you think you can dance? The father says, come my son, come my son, you're invited to the party. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, you're invited to the party. And here's my last point. The younger son had a failure to launch and God forgave him. The older, the elder brother had a failure to love. Come on, somebody. And God forgave him. And in this audience, you have these four people, failure to love, failure to launch. And he says, come together, everybody, and let's get ready to party. For the next 40 seconds, I want you to rejoice because the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. And I want you to dance, dance like David dance. You got to dance all out of your ever-loving mind. Come on. Now dance. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Come on, dance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Say with me, there is no place like home. There is no place like home. If you want to party, you got to go to the church. Come on, somebody. Because they know how to have a party. They know it's like to throw down in the Holy Ghost. Come on. 
ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Come on. Hallelujah. There is no joy like it is when someone comes to know Jesus. So, Father, we bless your name. We thank you. We worship and adore you. And we thank you for there's no place like home. Father, I pray for every child, every child that doesn't know you. I pray, Lord God, they will come home. I pray they will come home in the name of Jesus. Every child, every child, they will come home. For there's no place like home. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lift up your hands, every people. Shout out to God with a voice of triumph.